During Black History Month, we honor figures like Martin Luther King Jr. and Rosa Parks for making strides in racial equality. Oftentimes, these teachings only occur throughout the month of February, coming to an abrupt halt on March 1st. While we certainly glean information from Black History Month, it is not sufficient to limit our learning to one month out of the year. Celebrating Blackness should occur 365 days a year, and for that to happen, we must acknowledge the foundations for many of the things we consume. Black creativity deserves credit for the sought-after trends we admire on a day-to-day -day basis. Realms like music, fashion, and makeup can be attributed to Black creativity, yet we fail to credit the figures responsible for pioneering the trends within these spaces. In order to honor Black creativity, I spoke with USC senior Kennedy Daniel about the foundations for much of the culture we consume. My name is Megan Baumgardner, and this is The Pod by Jen Zine. I actually, I grew up in LA, so USC was obviously like a different environment, but it was very similar to what I was used to because um, I went to predominantly white institutions from kindergarten to now. So I feel like recently I've been, as I'm sort of on my way out approaching post-grad, there are a lot of things about my time in these schools that I've been reflecting on that have been like the themes of my life, which is really interesting, like how I see USC, how I see myself at USC and how like, Occupying that space has changed the kind of person that I was, that I am. I wanted to talk to you about your sense of self because I feel like as soon as I met you, I noticed that you had a really strong sense of self and you really knew who you were. And I think that that's really difficult to achieve, especially as a young person. Like I know I certainly haven't achieved it. So I'm wondering how do you kind of cultivate your sense of self and when do you feel like you kind of realized who you are? Yeah, I love that question because it's also something that I've been thinking about in my own life, like how I've sort of cultivated my sense of self. And I think, you know, I think a lot of people see me as exuberant and bubbly and confident and stuff like that. And I think I am all those things. And I think it'd taken me a long time to get there. But I also think that I wasn't necessarily given a choice. I think a lot of the times people like to idealize the black women in their lives for being strong and confident and powerful, but it's like, if they were anything less than that, you know, society would have a much harder time accepting them. Because if you think about all the black women that we idealize in culture, the Beyonce's, the, you know, the Shonda Rhimes, they're all really powerful and none of them are allowed to be anything less than like getting their bag 24 seven. Um, so I've reflected on that a lot in terms of I never really had the choice to be insecure. I never really had the choice to not know because it was always just like either you know or you're going to get judged for not knowing. Um, so I think that that kind of jump started me into figuring out my identity because it's, it's a strong tool to know who you are because it's less likely that someone can really tear you down. And I think in my experience, like cultivating who I am has been also like a defense mechanism or like um sort of like a shield. It's like, well, if I know who I am, then all of these like societal harmful tactics to bring me down aren't gonna hurt as much. So I love that's something I love about myself, my sense of self, but also I sort of have to reflect and nurture this like little Kennedy who wasn't really like given the choice to be good at something or to, you know, be really, really confident because I've just, I feel like that was always expected. Of course. And I think that that too, what I, what I noticed that you were just talking about can kind of be perceived as a double-edged sword. Of course, it is amazing to have a sense of self, but how does that feel to know that you don't really have that much of a choice? Yeah, that's, yes, that's like a huge part of that. And I, 
I've been really reflecting on this a lot, like in therapy and with my mom, sort of just like, you know, I was a lot of the times the only one, the only girl, the only black girl, the only dark skinned black girl. So that has a lot of like layers to it in terms of what I had to do to protect myself. And as I'm entering this post-grad space, I'm realizing that I have so many coping mechanisms and all of them I'm proud of because, you know, learning how to get through situations is powerful in itself. But I think it, it, and thinking back on, I'm like, wow, like you really cultivated this experience so that you could be okay every day. Like I hold that so close to my heart and I'm so proud of myself, but I'm also like, okay, what can I do post-grad to sort of give myself the things that I never had before or was never awarded before so it's emotional especially when you realize it um and sort of being in this limbo of being like in classes but not on campus gives me a lot of emotional space to do it when I first met you you talked about how you worked at Glossier for a little while and obviously massive company within the beauty space kind of revolutionary and i wanted to hear a bit about your experience as an employee at glossier because makeup brands are kind of having to become a lot more accountable for the people that they include in their demographic and i guess i was just curious as to what your experience was working there oh my god it was so beautiful but i found that the hiring process and just training process working there was just lovely like i no workplace is perfect but I'd have to say it was damn near close to perfect. And, and it was the first time in my life in which I was one of many women of color and men of color. You know, I had a lot of people around me and I think it helped my time at USC a lot. Cause I'd go to USC, right? And I'd sit in a lecture hall of 200 people and you know, 12 of that 200 were of color somehow. And then I'd go to, and then I'd feel ostracized and I'd go to Glossier and I'd be one of many. So the juxtaposition of my like sophomore and junior years when I was working there was crazy. Um, and I needed it. Like thinking right now, if I didn't have that, I don't know what I would have done, how I would feel about myself right now. Like being around people that look like you and love themselves just catapults you into loving yourself, which is why representation is so important because, you know, if you don't see it, you can't be it. And so I think that like being around, physically being around all those women for so long, like we have hour long shifts of just like me normalizing my features and me normalizing like how I felt about myself. It was such a like amazing process. There are a lot of realms I think that are lacking representation, whether it be through beauty, music, fashion, etc. And I guess I was wondering in your opinion, what realm specifically do you think is lacking representation? Oh, I definitely just have to jump into tv i got really emotional when bridgerton came out and not in a good way <laughs> and i think the reason i had a pain point with the show was because it was supposed to be this revolutionary tv show that really like captured you know people of color and then every single person of color in the show was light-skinned and that comes into you know the colorism aspect they unveil this like cousin that's coming to come stay with the family who's like from the wrong side of the tracks and she you know they're just taking her in because they're so nice and she's and but you know there's a lot of air of mystery around her so you kind of have this idea like oh i bet she's like beautiful despite what they're saying about her and she this girl walks in and she's just like she's gorgeous she's gorgeous but she's this light-skinned black girl and i was just like that was such an opportunity to go against the narrative of what beauty on black women is. Not that that girl wasn't beautiful. She's beautiful. She's smart. I've seen, I follow the actress on Instagram. She's amazing. 
but I'm like, that was an opportunity to go against the only way that black women are allowed to be pretty is when your blackness is accompanied with whiteness. And there are a lot of times that that happens where the only time that you're allowed to show black people is when it's their blackness is also sort of quote unquote legitimized by whiteness. Like, oh, it's an interracial couple where there's one black guy and one white girl because you can't possibly have an interracial couple without a white person or you're gonna represent black women. Okay, well, they're gonna have like looser curls and they're gonna be lighter skinned because they can't have dark skin and kinky curls, you know? Or, oh, we're gonna show this mixed black guy as the hot guy rather than like an Asian guy or a dark skinned black guy. There's so many things where I was like, this show fell short and now everyone's praising it for diversity. Recently, television has been the thing that I've been the most critical about because like black culture is culture, but then to constantly push this narrative that blackness cannot be accepted without whiteness behind it or in front of it, just like, it's so devastating. And everything that I watch now, I feel like is sort of diluted. Blackness is diluted. Like, you know, I watch How to Get Away with Murder. Viola Davis is this powerful lawyer and her husband she's an interracial relationship and her husband is white or carrie washington in scandal she's this powerful boss lady in washington but her boyfriend's white and don't get me wrong my boyfriend's white i also know that's not the only way that you can show love or interracial love right and i also noticed too that a lot of times black characters follow a common archetype like seldom are they the main character. They're usually a supporting role, like a best friend to the protagonist or something. It's such a popular stereotype. And sometimes it honestly makes me think of um Scary Movie. I totally forget the name of the female character, but there was a female black character in it. She was a supporting role and she kind of embodied like this really feisty nature. And I think that that too is kind of an archetype that people try to perpetuate through movies and TV, when in reality, I don't think that that's representative of a black woman. Like a black woman doesn't have to embody an archetype in order to be represented. And so tying into that, do you feel like you've been represented? Like, do you ever feel like you identify with characters in movies and TV shows? Or do you feel like you're not represented very well? Oh, I really like that question. I don't know if I've ever asked myself that question. I think, to be honest, I don't think so. The reason, I think the one space that I do feel really well represented is um, Issa Rae in Insecure because her show is about a black woman and it's called Insecure. And the fact that black women can be depressed and insecure and unsure of themselves and awkward, like she had a podcast that sort of like, was the catalyst for her show. Was, I think it was called Awkward Black Girl. Like even the title, do I, I don't even know what that looks like. Like who is an awkward black girl? I have no idea. It's kind of me. And so I think I was just thinking about that last night. I'm like the fact that, you know, Issa Rae's character, she's messy and she, you know, she has no idea what she's doing with her life. And she, you know, goes from guy to guy and she's, but she's powerful still and she has her power and she's not letting guys walk all over her and so I think that maybe is one of the only examples that I can think of the strong black woman archetype is also really harmful because of the history of black families a lot of the times like because of mass incarceration and capitalism black men were removed from the household um meaning that women like black women quite literally had to raise their own children, other people's children. Like, you know, it takes a village is really like, I think probably coined by a black woman because 
they were put in so many unfortunate situations where they had to be that strong person and while that's a history that you know we have to embrace and we have to acknowledge it's also like okay well if we see it in real life why do we constantly need it on tv listen i love a viola davis carrie washington moment but they only play these really tough, really strong women. And I love the moments where you see softer sides of them in the show, but their whole character is based around being a bad bitch, which is great, but that's not a sustainable lifestyle. I don't constantly want to see black women represented in a point of turmoil in, in terms of like, oh, she's really powerful and her life is messy and she has, and you know, sex and money and murder and all this stuff. It's just like, can she just live in a nice house in the midwest and have a beautiful family and i don't know write novels for a living <laughs> like you know it's sort of like it's sort of like black women are dramatized like you're either super ghetto or you're the mammy and you take care of other people's children or you're a boss lady like there's absolutely no in between and that's super harmful because then it's like well when do i get time to be messy when do i have time to be depressed or awkward or insecure never because there's no room for it. can you talk to me a bit about the intersectionality of being a black woman because i've seen you talk about that on your instagram before and i love the way that you talk about it and i was wondering if you could tell me a bit more about the intersectionality of being black and also being a woman i admire women so much like i always joke about this with my boyfriend like if he's scrolling on tiktok and he like sees a black woman's video i go oh like it and follow her i'm like i don't care who she is like you have to like that video and you have to follow her right now <laughs> and i have this like undying solidarity with just women in general and i feel like being a black woman is that it's having this ability to make people feel so comfortable because we know firsthand what it's like to be uncomfortable all the time and it's a matter of like you know making people feel welcomed and you know everyone's always like oh like black women just like they just make you feel so good and we we hype people up and we're there for people because we know what it's like to not have that and i think that that's sort of been the defining moments of my life is feeling like i don't belong feeling like I have no place somewhere. I feel like people don't want me to be there and counteracting that and finding a way for me to make people feel special and included. And I feel like inclusivity is a mission that I've devoted so much of my time to, but I think it really comes from the place of not being accepted, but accepted by, you know, white culture, but also black culture sometimes. I feel like my experience is very varied. Um, you know, I grew up going to predominantly white institutions my whole life and then i grew up doing ballet and my parents are both actors and my mom is an immigrant and i feel like those you know sort of differences in my identity is a little bit different than like the african-american archetype i just always felt like i didn't always align with black culture like african-american culture and then also i clearly don't align with white culture so it was always sort of this push and pull of you know, what certain things that I was passionate about meant about me. And the fact that a lot of times I talk to people, they're like, oh, you sound like a white girl, or why are you talking like this? Or why do you like these things? And that's part of the experience of people not understanding you and people not understanding that you're layered and that you have layers. Because when do black, when are black girls a lot allowed to have layers, allowed to be different and represent different things? Um, and that's a huge thing. I feel very misunderstood a lot of the time. There's this idea of like the Fenty effects where once Fenty Beauty was created by Rihanna, 
and all of these foundation shades came out, all of these other beauty companies were racing to create all these shades so that women could feel accepted and they could find foundations that match their skin tone. But the problem is that only happened because Fenty Beauty did it and because it proved to be successful. And so I guess I was wondering, what what has your experience been with beauty and makeup growing up? But yeah, the beauty world is really finicky because I feel like a lot of the times, like you were saying, when they see something that works, they hop on it like it's a trend. Brands are willing to like close themselves off to a huge demographic of people. And also black girls like invented the lip gloss, invented all of these like very, like even not even black girls, but just like women of color with these like rich skin tones really invented a lot of like amazing beauty trends. I feel like women of color just like sort of own makeup if that makes sense, but they're not the ones who get the benefit of it. And there's still not that many like makeup brands started by women of color, started by people in color in general. Like, and it's also insane that like beauty standards become trends, um, which is honest, which is devastating. Cause I know so many of like my Middle Eastern girlfriends like who got bullied for their thick eyebrows. Now all of a sudden it's like a trend and everybody wants it and like, you don't know pain until you've been like bullied for your natural features and then seen it come into trend. Listen, I think like plastic surgery is a form of self-care. Like if that's something that you want to do that's not negatively affecting you or you financially, like do it. But I think a lot of people have to take like a hard step back and be like, well, why do I want lip fillers in the first place? Why do I feel the, ne the need to be darker than the skin tone that I was given? And think about the system that we live in that makes it beneficial for you to be darker, but not me to be darker. Like really think about that. And if you still wanna do it, more power to you. I'll tell you you look good, but I'm not gonna tell you that, you know, I sympathize with you <laughs> when you're kind of appropriating the thing that people don't like me for or the thing that won't get me jobs. And moving forward too, how do you think that we can credit these cultures that are essentially responsible for fashion, music, beauty, everything. I mean, as the Black Lives Matter movement brought light to a lot of the things that we consume are a result of black culture. So how can we credit those cultures as we consume them? Just like giving a fuck and just realizing that, like I think this, the whole reason for this podcast that Anushka and I were talking about was that I, was I on Pinterest or no, I was on like some Instagram page and it's this girl had started like a Y2K mood board and every girl on that mood board was white. And I was just like, whoa, whoa, whoa. And I messaged her and I was like, hey, I love your mood boards. Like, I think you have great style, but like, this is where this came from. I think just realizing that, you know, Kim Kardashian and Paris Hilton did not start trends. Um, and I think, you know, it's hard because like Gen Z, especially younger Gen Z, how are they supposed to know that like Naomi Campbell and Tyra Banks and all these women like really, and Destiny's Child like really were it and made it. But I think it's just like caring. I think it's also curating the things that you follow. Like when I think about my For You page, I'm sure it's so different than so many else other people, but like I follow people who are gonna teach me something and I surround myself with people who are smarter than me. So that, you know, the one-off time that I think that so-and-so invented this, they're like, oh, actually no, like they didn't. And this is why you think that. Um, because if anything, we're all a product of our environment. So the people that genuinely think that like Paris Hilton invented Y2K, like I don't think that's a racially charged thing. I don't think they know. I just think like we're a product of our environment and our environment wants us to believe that. So I think it just, it comes down to following people that you otherwise wouldn't follow. Like I make a point to follow a lot of indigenous people on TikTok. 
a lot of, you know, um, people of the LGBTQ plus community and just, you know, a lot of, a lot of physically disabled people on TikTok as well, because it's such a, social media is a great platform for lost information to come to fruition, which I really, really love. So I would just, I would just like surround yourself with people who know information that you don't know because you don't know what you don't know, which is fine. But then, you know, once you have all this technology, it's like, okay, now it becomes your fault when you don't know stuff. So um, making it a point to really give power to the people of color or people in minority groups on social platforms who are putting in the work and making these really high quality videos just to make sure that you know something. Cause then you knowing a piece of information could help you in your relationship with your with the people of color in your life. If you understand something culturally that maybe they wouldn't think you do, that's like a connection right there. That feels good. So I would I would just say like surround yourself with information that you otherwise wouldn't know. So would you mind elaborating a bit more on the origins of Y2K and how it's kind of being exploited? Like I said earlier, that's what sort of catapulted this conversation was the lack of accountability for Y2K styles. And I feel like a lot of the times it's sort of perpetuated with social media and how I said, you know, people curate their experiences, right? So if you only follow white fashion girls on TikTok, right? And they're all posting about Y2K, you're probably gonna think that they invented it. Or you're probably gonna think that like, they got it from Paris Hilton or from Kim Kardashian. So a lot of erasure happens, which I think is what's happening now is sort of, you know, trends come in and out. And as every time they come in and every time they go out, you lose a piece of its cultural origin. Um, And I think that's exactly what's happening, even though it wasn't even like that long ago that it was in style. And that's another interesting thing to think about how like, like we're saying that black culture is culture and how it comes and goes in phases and sort of emulates this idea that like black features, black style, black music is only acceptable when white people say it's acceptable. And like literally with the forming of trends, it's like, okay, well like you look you look ghetto in your lip gloss and hoop earrings, but five years from now, a bunch of white girls are gonna do it and get away with it. Black culture is created obviously by black people, but then it falls into the hands of the majority group and then they decide they pick and choose what parts of it that they want not only does it get taken away but then we pick and choose literally what time of the month determines which style same thing with body types you know people used to hate big boobs big butt oh you're fat you're this you're that but now like kim kardashian like almost kills herself trying to look like a black woman but it's cool on her and it's not cool on someone else. I only started wearing hoop earrings in, like in 2019 because I was like, oh, this is like not something that I'm allowed to wear because it emulates a certain thing about me. And like, I still don't even like wearing lip gloss. And I used to think that was like a personal choice, but now I'm like, oh, well, if I wear lip gloss, I get the lips that everyone wants. Like my lips look big and, you know, hydrated and whatever. And I'm like, but no one likes that on me. So I'm trying to think like, do I actually not like that trend or have I been ostracized from it? And even it's something as, you know, tiny as lip gloss, but I'm like, do I not want to wear it because my lips will look really, really big? And I used to get made fun of for that, even though like other people make comments about how nice my lips are now, but do they like it only because it's a trend now? And I, and I wonder too, I mean like, will these trends be sustained? Are they going to continue or are they going to be what they are, a trend? And then is something else going to come up, you know? And I constantly wonder too, like what our kids and what our kids' kids will think about the trends that we experienced as young people and whether or not they'll look back on those trends and be like, 
that was fucked up that like black culture didn't receive the credit that they deserved for um, hoops, for braids, for natural hair, whatever it may be. Um, and I don't know, I like, I, and I wonder what you think of that too. Like, do you think it'll be the type of thing where our kids look back on this and be like, we messed up? Mm, that's a good question. I feel like it'll, it'll probably be a little bit of both, like still looming essences of ignorance and then also an acceptance of sort of the past. And you think about it, I'm like almost 22. Like if I have kids by the time I'm 30, like I definitely don't see this problem being eradicated, but I definitely think that there's a way that Gen Z is really interested in raising their kids. None of my friends have children, but I already see a difference between like the way we think and the way that like our parents think. And I feel like that's definitely going to make a difference. And a lot of the times that I do like social justice advocating or, you know, talk about my story is because I have like, I know it sounds weird, but like I have my children in mind. I don't know who they are yet. I don't know how many, I don't know, boy, girl, she, her, they, but I do know that I don't want them to put up with the same shit. Like they should have their own battle at that point. And hopefully it's like, not racially charged it probably will be but if i finish if i start a battle now and work on it it won't be as prevalent in my kid's life if i deal with it right now and dealing with my own internalized stuff too um and i think about that a lot in terms of also like us having this conversation like if our kids grow up around each other i want to know that you put in the work to teach your kids certain things so that they can go on the playground with my kid and not make them feel bad and make them you know if you tell your kid oh like we accept everybody we like why don't you go play with them and see if they're okay i appreciate that so that my kid doesn't have to go through the same stuff that I internalized. We're not gonna be perfect. Our kids are gonna have their own things to deal with, but if that's something that they don't have to deal with, how like beautiful would that be? Well, that's one of the value propositions I think of Gen Z is I noticed that we're a generation of acceptance and inclusivity. Like speaking with you, speaking with my friends and seeing all the amazing things that some of these students are doing. I have a lot of hope for the way that we ultimately raise our kids and for whatever we teach them, because I think the common threads are going to be inclusivity, representation, and also crediting the foundations for which we consume, if that makes sense. That makes complete sense, yeah. And I'm very proud that we're, we're having this conversation now because I feel like it really is gonna make a difference in a couple years. And also I was sort of saying earlier, I'm sort of nurturing a piece of myself that didn't always get attention. You know, trauma that you experience when you're a child doesn't just have to be trauma. Like you can do things, I mean, also depending on the scale, I'm like privileged enough to have people to talk to and have a therapist to work through it, but like, just because I didn't get it then doesn't mean I can't get it now and then give that to my kid. So I'm working on it now so that I can just teach myself that it's like, okay, things get better. And now you have a little bit more power in your life and you can determine things for yourself. And what do you want for yourself now that you don't have the confines of, you know, a predominantly white institution? Like what decisions are you going to make to make yourself feel more comfortable? And it's a burden, but it's also something that I sort of welcome. And it's a form of self-care. It's like, what can I do to make myself feel included when I didn't feel included before?